0: Let's pray. We come with grateful thanks, Heavenly Father, as we think further about these parables of the kingdom of heaven. Grant that your kingdom might truly grow, even as we've heard that it will. So grow your kingdom in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen want to start out this morning with a nursery rhyme that you probably know pretty well, a nursery rhyme that goes like this. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? Do you remember that one? And you remember the answer, with silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maidens all in a row. Rather than go down the path of checking Mary's garden and asking what all that means, let's try this rhyme instead. Jesus, Jesus, son of David, how does your kingdom grow? And what's his answer? Well, his answer is just in the parables that we've read, the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast He tells us through these parables, he tells these parables to show us what his kingdom is like and how it grows in the world. And if you were among the audience that Jesus spoke to back then, you would have probably been quite surprised by the answer that he gave. I mean, what would you usually think of when talking about kingdoms growing? Well, in this world, they grow with parades of soldiers. They grow with tanks and missiles. They grow with ships and helicopters and fighter planes. You might think of kingdoms growing through military might, a nation conquering lands and then taking cities. Russia, Ukraine, a terrible picture, brutal, harsh. But if you're a Jew in Jesus' day, that thought might have been in your mind too. You'd have been expecting the Messiah to come and conquer the enemies of Israel. That's what they thought was going to happen. They thought that God's kingdom would come with power and great glory. But how does the kingdom of Jesus, the son of David, how does it grow? How does it come? He says it grows from the smallest and the most insignificant beginnings like a mustard seed and it will grow quietly and it will grow secretly like yeast in a lump of dough. So That's what I have to say to you this morning. It's pretty obvious and it's very straightforward. I've got two main points that I want to bring out but then a bunch of applications from these parables this morning. The first point, with apologies to Paul Kelly, who wrote a song with this title, From Little Things, Big Things Grow. Jesus says in verse 31, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, and though it is the smallest of seeds. Now, Jesus, I'm sure, knows all about botany. And so when he says the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, he's not speaking scientifically. This isn't a botany lesson that he's giving us. Rather, Jesus is speaking proverbially. This was a well-known Jewish proverb. For example, when the rabbis wanted to speak about a tiny drop of blood, this is what they would say. They would say as being as tiny as a mustard seed. Was a well known proverb. And because Jesus is speaking proverbially, we also know that mustard seed doesn't actually grow into a tree, but a fairly big bush or shrub. Some say four to five feet tall, others say eight to ten. Now this is significant because if Jesus wanted to impress us with the greatness or the grandeur of his kingdom, he would have chosen a cedar of Lebanon instead, a bigotry. But he wasn't trying to impress. The Jews knew that already. What they didn't know is how the kingdom would grow. This great and glorious kingdom that had been promised by the prophets. They'd all been waiting for this kingdom to come. It will grow, Jesus says, from the smallest and most insignificant of beginnings and it will fill the whole earth. We learned that through the book of Daniel, didn't we? All those prophecies, all those images, all those dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. The kingdom of God filling the whole earth. So verse 32, the birds will come and perch in its branches. In other words, such a small seed will grow and grow and grow, not just straight upward, not straight up like the magic beans in Jack and the Beanstalk, but outward so that its branches spread out everywhere all over the world. Take a map of the world. Place your finger randomly upon it and it's very likely the country you point to will have a bird from that country in the mustard tree. The kingdom of heaven that was planted in Judea way, way, way back over 2,000 years has grown into a tree with very, very long branches. The biggest, longest living kingdom in the history of the world, surpassing the Egyptians, surpassing the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Aztecs, the Ottomans, the Mongols, the Romans. And even, dare I say, with no respect to our new king, the British. Surpassing all these. Christianity has outlived them all. It's spread all over the world and it has all kinds of cross-cultural birds perching in its branches from all over the world. The church is that. Do you remember the peace? That was popular so many years ago. It went like this. Jesus of Nazareth was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He never wrote a book. He never held office. He never had a family around the home. He didn't go to college. He never travelled more than two hundred miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. And yet today he is still the central figure of human history. So all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever sailed and all the parliaments that ever sat or all the kingdoms and the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as this one solitary life. From little things, big things grow. The mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, so small, yet it grows and grows and grows, and the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. From little things, big things grow, says Jesus. And then, secondly, Jesus tells him in verse 33, still under this, still another parable, but under the same heading. A different heading from hidden things, some things grow. From hidden things, some things grow. Now, there are certain similarities between these two parables. They're both speaking about the growth of the kingdom, but they're not identical parables, are they? They're not making exactly the same point. In the second parable, a little has a lot of influence. We see it there in verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now three measures of flour is no small amount. It's going to end up being a fairly big amount of damper we're cooking here. Probably enough to feed about three times as many people as are here this morning. About 150. That's a lot of food. But yeast is like that. A little goes a long way. A tiny pinch will permeate the whole lump and cause the dough to rise and fill your house with the delicious aroma of fresh-baked bread. There's nothing like that, is it? Nothing like that smell of freshly-baked bread. And Jesus says, that's how my kingdom grows. It's like yeast secretly and mysteriously doing its work. It's hidden. It works invisibly, but it has enormous power to change things and to bring results. When asked in Luke 17 about how the kingdom of God comes, Jesus told them, it doesn't come in ways that can be observed. You can't say, here it is or there it is. It doesn't come in ways that are obvious. He says the kingdom of God is within you. It's like yeast within the dough. The yeast does its work with no outward show of pomp or pageantry. And it does that because the kingdom of God is not an earthly kingdom at all. And yet it penetrates every nation on earth. It penetrates every level of society... It changes lives. Read the book of Acts. See there in the book of Acts, the disciples didn't have any great strategy of reaching the world, but they turned the world upside down. How did they do that? They lived lives that demonstrated the kingdom and they went around infectious in their influence. Of course, they had to explain the message They had to give reason for the hope that was within them but it seemed as if the gospel seeped through every pore of their lives and then the generations after them, they carried on the ministry allowing it to drive them towards all kinds of social reforms and improvements. First institution for the blind, founded by a Christian monk, the first free dispensary founded by a Christian merchant, the first hospital founded by a Christian woman. The world doesn't produce that kind of compassion. It's the yeast in the dough. It's the message of Jesus transforming people's priorities. It's the aroma of Christ in the world. One of the great periods of social improvement in England was during the latter part of the 18th century and throughout the 19th century. And while France was having a revolution with much bloodshed in the name of enlightenment, and a lot of heads were rolling, England was having a massive revival under the preaching of the gospel, which totally transformed the British Isles, transforming social condition, conditions in England at the time that were horrific. Horrific. Gym palaces, young children, alcoholics, young children being forced to work in the mines, huge corruption, the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer, and God raised up John Wesley and George Whitfield. George Whitfield's great sermon was You Must Be Born Again. And when somebody asked him, Why do you keep preaching the same thing? He said, Because you must be born again. And there was a great revival and thousands of people were converted including people like William Wilberforce and many others. And that led to the abolition of slavery and prison reform and the improvement of working conditions and the emergence of trade unions so that working class men had some kind of protection from rich overlords that were ripping them off. How did that happen? It's the yeast of the dough. It's how the kingdom of God grows, transforms society, penetrating people's lives, affecting culture and community and countries. Wales in the UK became known as the land of the white gloves. Because when magistrates and judges had no crimes to try, they would wear white gloves. Because no one was committing evil. No one. And for the whole period of, after that revival, for two or three years, there was no crime. The yeast had got into the dough and people's lives were changed through that effect. Now I admit that that's not the only way the kingdom of God grows. Usually the fruits of its growth are not something that you always see. The work is hidden and secret, it's mysterious. And it's not a matter of intellect either. Paul said to the Corinthians that the things of the spirit of God are foolishness to the natural man. The word of the cross is folly Think of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, a teacher of Israel, schooled in the Old Testament, a bit of a Bible nerd who knew his Bible well. You'll read how he came to Jesus by night. He was courteous, he was polite, he was intelligent, but he didn't grasp the things that Jesus said to him about the need for the new birth. Totally did not get it. It reminds us, doesn't it, that salvation is this supernatural work of God and that we need to be praying for open ears and open eyes and open hearts as we go about sowing the seeds of the gospel, the good seed we learned about last week. Keep in mind that a little goes a long, long way in gospel work. From little things, big things grow. From hidden things, some things grow. So what then? Well, let's consider some applications. First, two don'ts and two do's. Two don'ts and two do's. For a start, don't despise the day of small things. Don't back off from the conversation over the photocopier at work or at the school gates at the drop-off or exchanging some words with your neighbours Or teaching your children or your grandchildren, inviting someone to come to the Christmas night with an invitation. Kingdom work doesn't have to be high powered, it can be kind of ordinary. It can involve just praying and living for Jesus every day. That's what the early Christians did. That's how the yeast works. Don't despise or think badly of small steps. You don't have to make huge ones, just small ones. Then also don't despair of ever seeing kingdom growth. It's no accident that in Mark's Gospel these two little parables are slap bang in the middle of the one we looked at last week. Mark's sandwiches... These two little parables in the middle of the wheat and the weeds. He does that to show us that God's kingdom grows even in the midst of the opposition of the devil, in the midst of severe opposition. Victor Hugo, the French writer, says, like the tumbling of a mighty army is the force of an idea whose time has come. This is how the kingdom advances, not by force, by military minds, not by persuasion, but the day will come. The Bible speaks of the earth being full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So don't despise the day of small things and don't despair of ever seeing kingdom growth then do make room for the birds in the branches. Do make room for them. There's still unreached people groups in this world where the gospel is not growing very much. You could put Australia in that category. You could put Japan in that category. You could put Jordan and Italy and sadly many more in that category. But we remind ourselves that Jesus said this message of the kingdom must first be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. So don't forget there's room in those branches for other birds. Don't stop sowing the seed. Don't stop supporting world mission and local mission. There are still unreached people groups in our city. Just stop for a moment and think. Who are the people who are not here this morning? Why aren't they? Well, maybe they haven't yet heard of the gospel of Jesus. What are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? There are tribes of people, street kids, high flyers, immigrants, all sorts of people, That need to be represented here. Our work isn't done. It's never done, is it? Praise God, we have a variety of cultures among us this morning. But where are the others? Where are the others? Fourthly, do adopt this vision of the kingdom. Let it shape your life. Let it shape your involvement in church life. See, God uses ordinary people to bring his kingdom in. He uses mustard seed sized people. We heard about that in Corinthians, didn't we, this morning. Remember our studies in that letter a year or two ago and how they were a church intoxicated by glitz and glamour. They'd have strobe lighting if they could. Smoke and mirrors, if they were available. Healing and gifts and tongues. They were all the things that were the rage. But that's not the way the kingdom grows. God doesn't use giants. God uses ordinary people. When Paul wrote to them, he said, "'Consider your calling, brothers. "'Not many of you are wise from a human perspective. "'Not many powerful. "'Not many of noble birth. "'God has chosen what's foolish in the world.' Consider your calling. Remember who you are. God has chosen you. He's chosen the foolish to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak to shame the strong. Chosen what is insignificant and despised, which is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one can boast in the presence of God. That's how his kingdom grows. No hype. No exaggerated claims. We're not trying to impress the world. We're not competing with the world to reach the world. That's not how the kingdom grows. It grows through ordinary people. William Carey, we mentioned him last week. He was by all means very short-sighted and unimpressive looking. He was a shoe repairer, a cobbler. God sent him to India for 42 years. He never ever came home back to England. He spent 42 years in India like the yeast in the dough, translating the Bible into a score of different Indian languages. He hardly saw any results in his lifetime. But today we know him as the father of the modern missionary movement. This is the kind of person that God uses to advance his kingdom in the world. An ordinary person, a plodder, not a superstar, not a celebrity. Those who acknowledge that they're just like a mustard seed, People who are happy to commit to a ministry even if it means being tucked away in obscurity for a long period of time. That's the way the kingdom grows. Even though it's hidden, it's unstoppable. Even though it's inconspicuous, it, it's irrepressible. And the kingdom grows like that because the message of the kingdom is just like that. It's about a God who lifts up the fallen. It's about a God who cares for the broken. It's about a God who forgives the repentant. It's about a God who has set his love upon the ordinary. About a God who is not impressed by those who try to impress him, but welcomes anyone who comes to him on their knees. A God who... Who will and cancel out sin. Who will and can cancel out sin. And he does that because of his grace. And so it's with a message of grace that we go into the world that knows nothing but rules and failures and not measuring up and not being good enough or does the opposite, tells you that you can do anything and that you are everything. Grace of God, that's the message we take to the world. We're not speaking to put people down. We're not speaking to lift them up. But just to show them who God is. That he so loved the world that it's in rebellion against him. For us and for them he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the message of the kingdom. That's the good seed we go into the world to plant. Will you be one of those who does that, who gives yourself to that, who takes the message, hides it away, not in the drawer, but in your life, in your actions, and in your words. That's how God's kingdom grows. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bring you thanks for your word. Thank you today, especially on Reformation Sunday, as we thought earlier about your word that did everything. While Luther slept, he said, The word of God did everything. Please take your word and use it. Please take it as a seed and plant it. Please help us to encourage its growth, to water it, and please bring it to fruition so that it might grow and that many cross-cultural birds will come and take part in the kingdom of God. We thank you for the day that is coming when all things are done, when there will be so many there before the throne, all kinds of people from all kinds of places, all rejoicing before the Lamb as we sang before earlier today. We pray for this, that your word might Truly bring forth much fruit here in this city and all over the world and use us, we pray, to be messengers of the gospel, of the good news that you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.